Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, I'm betting you have one of these things. It's called a dumb phone, I mean a smartphone. And uh, on it, there's a fantastic app called YouVersion that a church in Oklahoma created about 10 years ago. And uh, it is now on, uh, like, just a ridiculous number of devices. And uh, you can access the Bible in tons of different languages, and it is all free. Uh, Fantastic, fantastic resource. I encourage you to look for it. If you do a search in your app store just for Bible, I'm sure it'll be the first thing to pop up. And um, it's called YouVersion. You can follow along there. Uh, Mark chapter 14 is where we're we're going to be reading today. Um, But uh, while you're turning there, let let me ask you a a couple of questions. What, What would you do, what dream do you have that you would do for God, if you knew you couldn't fail, if you knew that guaranteed success was a part of the deal, that you couldn't fail at it, what would you do for God? I mean, we probably all got ideas about things that we see in the world that, man, somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to make that right. And man, somebody ought to start a nonprofit for this, or somebody ought to start a ministry in the church that does that. Or, uh, you know, we've all got these ideas of things that we would love to see happen in the world. Well, guess where that idea probably came from? Yeah, it probably came from the Lord. Um, we, we, let's face it, uh, are not the smartest creatures. The Bible does compare us to sheep, by the way, which is not a, a compliment because uh, sheep aren't the bright, brightest of animals. But um, uh, when we have a brilliant idea about something that would benefit the world, uh, it's more than likely that that idea came from the Lord. God has implanted in us his image, and he wants us as his image bearers to do the things that he has put us on this earth to accomplish. So what would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? Would you give a million dollars to the church? Church is ready for you to sign that check, by the way, if you're ready. Um, and, uh, you know, would you start a nonprofit that would uh, serve a, a particular uh, a part of the culture? Would you open a business that uh, uh, serves a particular niche in our culture that uh, uh, really needs some help? Maybe would you, would you pay off somebody's debt? Do you know somebody that's just drowning in debt and they could really use some help? Wouldn't that be cool to be able to, uh, you know, call your, your mother or your father or your in-laws or uh, that, that brother that's always broke and say, you know what, I'm just going to wipe out your debt. You got $40,000 in credit card debt, done. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to do that kind of stuff? Um, maybe you'd give $500 tips when you go out to eat. That would be awesome. I mean, can you imagine like going to Waffle House and there's a girl waiting on you and she's pregnant because you know if a girl's pregnant working at Waffle House, she's working because she has to. And wouldn't it be, be, be really cool to be able to give her this huge tip and be able to bless her and benefit her? And would you quit your job? And maybe volunteer all week at the church or uh, volunteer uh, at, at some uh, local ministry here in town and be able to serve or, or, you know, go on trips to Africa to serve. Everybody else wants to go to Hawaii or to uh, the Bahamas, but you want to go to Africa to serve people that are in need. And that, that's what you do. If you, you knew you could do this and not fail, wouldn't it be great to be able to live out that dream? Wouldn't living that out be great? Well, 
The problem is that for most of us, it would be great, but it's not great enough for us to take a risk. So we think, oh, that'd be fantastic, but we treat it more like a pie-in-the-sky dream, a wish, as opposed to maybe a calling. God is stirring in me something, and maybe I ought to step out and do this. Most of us don't pursue these kinds of things because we're afraid of failure. Afraid of failure. If you think about it, what's the number one cause of failure? I asked somebody that once, and they said, trying. (laughs) Trying is the number one cause of failure. Actually, it comes before trying. The number one cause of failure is the fear of failure. Because the fear of failure is actually what prevents us from launching. The fear of failure causes failure to launch. And if you don't ever launch, if you don't ever take that step and move forward and take that risk, you've already failed. You failed before you've begun. We're so good at failing to launch that most of us in the world live lives of obscurity and mediocrity. We never really make much of a difference. Stories won't be told of our faith. Generations won't remember the risks that we took for God. And why? Because we failed to launch. Because we were afraid to try. There's a great example of this in the Bible. In fact, this story that we're going to look at today is in all four Gospels. And uh, uh, if you're not familiar with it, in, in the New Testament, there are four books that we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all tell stories about the life of Jesus. And they're all a little bit different because they're all told from different people's perspectives. Uh, how many times have you ever been telling a story with somebody who was there, and as you're telling the story, they're telling the story, but they're telling it differently than you? Or they correct you, and they're like, no, that didn't happen. It happened this way. Anybody ever been there, right? And and the, the truth is, probably somewhere in between your two stories is, is probably closest to the accurate thing of what, what actually happened. And so when there's all these people, many, many, many hundreds and hundreds and thousands of eyewitnesses have seen Jesus, and the Lord led four of these guys to, to sit down and start writing these stories about Christ. And um, uh, so we see a lot of different stories about Jesus in the New Testament. Now, one of the common miracles that we see in all four Gospels is the resurrection. Resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty big one, right? Uh, the biggest of all time. And uh, so that one makes it into all four Gospels. Well, this particular miracle is also unique in that it made it into all four Gospels. And uh, so we're not going to read all four of them today, but we are going to read this one in Mark chapter 14. This is the only pre-resurrection miracle in the Bible that, is, that shows up in all four Gospels. And that's, that's pretty uh, amazing. I think if God repeats himself, don't you think it's important for us to pay attention to it and know what he's saying? If his word repeats this story four times, I'm pretty sure he's got a clear message there for us that we need to apply to our lives. Let's go ahead and read this. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. As soon as Jesus heard the news, what news? His cousin, John the Baptist, had just been killed. He was beheaded by King Herod. And Jesus was grieving. He was brokenhearted. His close friend, his close relative is now dead, and Jesus is bummed out. And it says here, he left in a boat to a remote area to what? To be alone. 
when you're bummed out and grieving, what do you want to do? Hang out with all your best friends? Hang out with a bunch of needy people who are like, heal me, heal me. No, you're going to feel like getting away. And so Jesus, just like you and I, wanted to get away. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we're not Skyline. We don't have massive batches of chili and spaghetti. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Now, there's a few things I want you to note. If if you're taking notes, you might write some of these down. You might write these in the margin of your Bible. The first thing to to pay attention to is this story is sometimes confused with another story that's very similar to it uh, when Jesus fed about 4,000 men and and women and children in addition. Uh, And uh, in in fact, in the book of Matthew, you read about Jesus feeding the 5,000, and then shortly thereafter, you read about Jesus feeding 4,000. And if you're reading that, you're like, did I just read the same thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, you did. It sounds very, very similar. They're actually two different events. Uh, The feeding of the 4,000 does not show up in all four gospels, but the feeding of the 5,000 does. And and the miracles are are very similar, but don't get them confused. They, They are two different events. Second thing I want you to note is that Jesus was trying desperately to get away. He was trying to get away from all of these crowds. And in in fact, in all four versions of the story, in all four Gospels, Jesus is stressed and grieving and trying to escape. And what, what do you do when you're grieving? You want to be left alone. But the crowds saw Jesus, and the the crowds were following him because they had heard about him. At this point, Jesus was becoming very, very famous. Um, You know, somebody walks into your town and touches a blind man, and the blind man can suddenly see. That's going to get your attention. And, uh, um, you know, he feeds 5,000 people. You're like, dude, that's pretty amazing. Jesus is doing all this awesome stuff. Jesus went to a party, his very first miracle. He was at a wedding. They ran out of wine, and he went back, and he touched a bunch of barrels of water and turned it into not just wine, but like a Pinot Grigio or something fancy. Like all these people were all blown away. Oh, my gosh, Jesus made awesome wine. And, um, you know, that's going to get people's attention. It's this amazing, amazing stuff. You can tell by what I just said. I don't know anything about wine. Um, I think it all tastes like feet. But anyway, um, Jesus uh, has done all these fantastic miracles, and people are like, I want to see miracles, and I want a miracle for me. You know, I've got a cousin who has cancer. Heal him, Jesus. Uh, my best friend has a, a bad foot, and 
and we can no longer play football together. And man, maybe Jesus could heal my best friend. Or I've got diabetes. Jesus, could you heal that? Or man, I've got these chronic headaches. Or, uh, you know, I have teenagers. Jesus, can you heal me of that affliction? <laughs> Whatever the case is, people are like, Jesus, I want to see these miracles. I want to experience these miracles. And so they came from wide and far to see and hear Jesus. And how annoying would that be if you were Jesus? Man, my cousin just died. Can you give me a minute? But what happened next that I want you to note is Jesus welcomed them even though they were invading his space. Mark 14, 14, and then Mark 6, 34, we find this, this word that we translate had compassion. Jesus had compassion. In Greek, it's just one word. It's splanknidsomai. It's kind of hard to say. Splanknidsomai. No wonder we say had compassion, because how many of you are going to be walking out of here today being able to say splanknidsomai? Anybody want to try? Splanknidsomai. That's just a weird word. That's kind of hard to, it doesn't roll off the tongue, you know. It, uh, it, you kind of feel like you're tripping over it while you're saying the words. And, and so Jesus splanknidsomai'd these people uh, when he saw them. And literally what it means is his bowels yearned. That doesn't sound very good. I had some bad Mexican food, man. Now my bowels are yearning, you know. Um, uh, in their culture... Uh, in their culture at that time, uh, they believed that the seat of the emotions in the person was in their bowels. Now, we have changed it in our culture, and we, we say it's in the heart, that here's where our emotions reside. And so we say things like, I love you from the bottom of my heart. And in that culture, they would say, I love you from the bottom of my bottom, um, because th- this is where the, the, uh, uh, the emotions resided in their, their tummy. And, and so Jesus, basically, when he saw the crowds who were annoying, probably, instead of being like, gosh, what a bunch of obnoxious, whiny, needy idiots, his tummy hurt for him. He felt sick for them. I recently... Um, uh, we've got a friend, a family friend in Oklahoma, and her brother recently committed suicide. And when I heard that story, I splanked midsomide. I felt it down here. Man, that's awful. We know what that kind of feeling is like. You've had that kind of compassion on somebody. You hear about a child being abused or murdered on the news, and you feel it in your tummy. You're just like, oh. That's what Jesus felt for these people. Instead of being annoyed by them, he was moved with compassion. Now, here's where the disciples failed to launch. This ties back to what we were talking about at the, the beginning, that the number one cause of failure is failure to Fear of failure we, because it causes us not to launch. And so they failed to launch here, to take a risk and to take 
the first step. So uh, just picture this story, all right? Peter is there hanging out with the other disciples, and Jesus is healing people and talking, and they're all paying attention to him. And the disciples are like, dude, I'm getting hungry. And Peter's like, yeah, me too. Let's, let's, maybe we ought to talk to Jesus. He's, he's been at this all day, and he ain't slowing down. There's still a long line of people wanting to be healed, and he keeps on loving them. He keeps on touching them. He keeps on healing them. He keeps on talking to them. Uh, somebody should do this about, do something about this. All right, let's, let's go talk to Jesus and hey, hey Jesus I know you're moved with compassion you know your, your tummy's hurting for these people and all that stuff but everybody's tummy here is hurting because we're all hungry we've been at this all day and maybe you ought to take a break and send them home uh, so that they can eat and uh, Jesus tells them you feed them now think about the irony here this is where God implanted the idea in the disciples there's something you could do guys for me and you can't fail because I've implanted this in you. I'm the one who gave you the idea. You feed them. And immediately their gut reaction after seeing Jesus heal people all day, miracle after miracle after miracle, their default mode was, ain't no miracle going to happen through me. The one who's working the miracles and gave them the idea, they ignore, he's not going to work a miracle through me. Forget about it, Jesus. You, you, you're crazy. These people need to go eat. And Jesus is saying, you feed them. What if the disciples had seen an opportunity rather than obstacles? When the God of the universe has been hanging out with you and you're pals with him and you've been seeing him work all of these amazing miracles, how small-minded of them to think, he can't feed these people. You and I are no better. We wrestle with the same Thing. The Lord puts a thought in us, and we say, that's a nice thought, Lord. You're right, God. Somebody, somebody ought to do something about that. But it won't, won't be, can't be me. But the Lord has put that thought in us. The most two important words in this text that I want you to remember are both B words, bring and blessed. Bring and blessed. First, Jesus said to them, bring them here. Bring what here? The food, the loaves and the fish. Bring it here. Jesus wanted what little they had to offer. These five lives and two fish were a ridiculous offering. In one of the Gospels, in John's Gospel, we're told that this lunch was brought by a little boy. And a little boy is like, well, Jesus, they started asking around, anybody got any food? And this little boy's like, I have a happy meal. And they're like, well, Jesus, we got one happy meal. Now what are you going to do? And Jesus was like, let me pray over it. And he tore it up, and everybody had a supersized value meal with leftovers. He said, bring it. What did Jesus want from the disciples? What they had. When God's planting an idea in you for something that you ought to be stepping up and doing and stepping out and doing, he doesn't want you to pull it off. 
He just wants you to step up. Bring what you have. I don't have much to offer. I'm nothing special. No great miracle is going to happen through me. Aren't you glad the little boy didn't think that? When the Lord implants it in you, it's foolishness to ignore it. It's folly to let it go. All right, Lord, I'm going to bring what little I have, and you are going to do something amazing with it. That first word is bring. Jesus said, bring it here. The next word that's important is blessed. Jesus blessed the food. In Greek, it's eulogeo. It's where we get the word eulogy. And it means to invoke a benediction upon something or someone for prosperity. And so Jesus spoke a eulogy over this food, blessed it that God might prosper it and multiply it. And when did he bless it? After it was brought. A lot of times we don't bring Jesus what little we have because we're expecting him to bless it first. When you bless me, Lord, then I'll bring and Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's the other way around. When you bring, then I'll bless. Because it's in the bringing that we take the step of faith. And the book of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you want the blessing on this thing that God has implanted in you, then you've got to do the bringing first. Here's what little I have, Lord, it's not much but you want me to take a step? Okay, I'm taking a step. This one's for you. Jesus turns little into much when we turn it over to him. After we bring, then he blesses. Jesus turns our little into much when we turn it over to him. Would you guys say that out loud together? Let's all say that together. Jesus turns our little into much when we turn it over to him. That thing, that idea, that calling that maybe you are sensing from God, you haven't yet taken the first step. Take it. Take the step. Bring to God what little you have and say, okay, Jesus, this is for the call. This is for the dream. This is for the God idea that you have that I'm scared to death to try and, and, and live out, but I'm bringing you what I have. What do you remember when you're reluctant to bring? Here's some things I want you to write down. Because all of us probably at this point in today's talk have some ideas about, okay, I think I know what I need to start bringing, or at least I'm getting close to that. And yeah, the Lord is, is probably speaking to many of you right now about that thing. I can see it on your face. You're going, oh gosh, this message is for me. And it's not one of those fun messages where I like walk out of here going, woo, I feel better. Thank God for the self-help talk today. No, today it's, oh my word, I've got this hard thing that I need to do for God and I know I need to do it and it's going to be better when I take that step, but I am scared to death. What do you do when you're reluctant to bring? Number one, write this down. Remember that Jesus brings us all of himself. When you're afraid of bringing God just a little bit of you, remember Jesus gave everything. 
He didn't just give a little bit. He gave it all. In Mark 6, 31, says this, Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't have time to eat. There were times when Jesus wanted to get away. Luke 9, 11, But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him, and he did what? He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Mark 6, 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. He had that tummy ache thing because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. Remember, Jesus' cousin had just been killed. Jesus was mourning, but you know what he did? When Jesus needed the compassions of the compassion of other people the most, that's when he gave compassion and showed compassion. I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out and uh, I, I kind of need time away, I have a tendency to shut other people out. Jesus' tendency is the opposite of that. When he was stressed, he let them in. Jesus gives it all, all the time. The bottom line is this, Jesus gave everything. He gave up the throne of heaven to come to earth and wear diapers and to get colic and to spit up and to probably catch a cold and to deal with annoying relatives and to put up with mean people and to tolerate family members that kind of seem intolerable, and to be persecuted, and to be insulted, and beaten, and then to die, treated like a criminal even though he'd never even committed a single sin. Jesus gave everything. He made no excuses but we make excuses all the time. When you're reluctant to bring, don't make excuses. Remember, Jesus didn't make any. He brought himself, all of himself to us. Second thing to remember when you're reluctant to bring is that we tend to bring him excuses, don't we? He brought us everything, we bring him excuses. I mean, to be fair, Jesus told the disciples to do something Pretty out there, pretty far-fetched. You feed these people. There's 5,000 men present, and for whatever reason, they didn't count all the women um, and the the children, but uh, biblical scholars estimate that this was probably a crowd of people between 12,000 and maybe 20,000 people. That's a lot of people to feed with a Happy Meal. And Jesus said to 12 disciples who had very little money, you guys feed them. I mean, that's out there. You may feel like this dream that God has implanted in you is way too big, and there's no way you can do it, and you're right. But that's no excuse. Why? Because the idea isn't yours. The calling wasn't your idea. It was his. He has implanted that in you, and he's saying, take the step I am responsible for the outcome. 
Jesus saw a great opportunity, but the disciples saw obstacles. Matthew, or Mark 6, 37, but Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We have to work for months to even earn enough money to buy food for all these people. John 6, 7 through 9, when Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, there's a young boy here with five loaves and two fish, but, but what good is this? What good is that with this huge crowd? Our excuses. Well, I don't, I don't give money to the church because I can't give enough to make a difference. I don't tithe because I don't have enough money. I can't marry my boyfriend or my girlfriend because we can't afford it right now. I, I can't minister to people because I'm too ashamed of my past. I can't volunteer in church or in that ministry that I feel like God's calling me to volunteer in because I just don't have enough time. I, I can't host a, a, a small group in our church and in our house because my home's too small. I don't know enough. I'm not, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not an expert. I, I'm not a good teacher. I can't go on a mission trip to another country because I don't have enough money. I don't have enough vacation time. I can't share my faith with people and tell them about Jesus because I don't know the Bible well enough and I might look like an idiot or I might make Jesus look dumb somehow. I don't reach out to that neighbor because I'm not whatever enough. Fill in the blank. I don't do what I feel like God is saying do because fill in the blank. We tend to bring excuses. I don't do what Jesus is calling me to do because I'm not trained enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not likable enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not bold enough, young enough, old enough, skinny enough, heavy enough, fit enough, whatever. Enough is enough. 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 Let's stop with the excuses. I don't bring him my money, my time, my resources, my fears, my doubts, my hopes, my abilities, my talents, because I think my excuse is valid. It's not. Jesus doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. Maybe you've heard that before. If God's calling you to do something, it's not because you're ready for it. It's not because you're the best person for it. Scripture says that it is through our weakness that he makes us strong. The reason God has picked you for this is because he's going to get the credit. Not you. It's not about your glory. Oh, look at the great thing that Fred did. Look at the great thing that Sarah did. When you do this thing, and God does whatever he's going to do through it, who's going to get the credit? The one who deserves the credit. The God of the universe. Look what he did. What do you do when you're reluctant to bring? Remember this, third thing. Blessing only comes after bringing what we have. That's always the order. Bringing first, followed by blessing. Matthew 14, 17 through 21. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples all had a doggy bag. 
12 basketfuls for 12 disciples. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Jesus turns our little into much when we turn it over to him. So bring your money because he can turn your few dollars into millions for his cause. Don't tithe because you don't have enough money. No, Lord, I'm going to bring it to you because you can do more with 90% of my income than I could ever do with 100%. Bring to God your financial fears and marry your boyfriend or girlfriend anyway just to please Jesus, not because it's what's convenient or because it's what you can afford. Uh, uh, Bring your past to God, that thing you're ashamed of, and he can turn your guilt and your shame into a powerful ministry that will help other people who are suffering through what you suffered through. Take your time and volunteer. He will multiply it and do amazing things. Bring your house to God. Open the doors. Invite people in that need to know Jesus and let God work through you and your home. Spend your vacation time and your money on things that bring glory to God and he will do amazing things. What little you know about the Bible is enough for you to start a conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Bring what little you know and see what God does through it. Bring him your fears, your doubts, your concerns, and he will show you how insufficient you are, but how sufficient he is by helping you reach people and change lives that would never be changed had you not brought. If you bring it to him, you can't fail. You know why? Because you're not responsible for the outcome. If Jesus said to these guys, hey, bring me the Happy Meal, and they brought it, and Jesus broke it, and it fed three and a half people, who was going to look dumb, the disciples or Jesus? Jesus. He's the one responsible for the outcome. What do you have to lose? We're afraid of failing, but what do we have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. We bring to him our little, and he turns it into much. And he's responsible for what happens next. You can't fail when you obey Christ's call because he is responsible for the result, not you. Remember, the fear of failure is the number one cause of failure. The failure is neglecting to bring him whatever he asks for. Look at what happened at the end of the story. Matthew 14, 20 through 21. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. If God can do that with a Happy Meal, what can he do with your time, your resources, your talents, your money? What What can he do with your life. Aren't you worth more than a Happy Meal? He wants to use you for something amazing. Don't run from it. Run toward it. Let's pray.
Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.